Hi, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. This is Jim from the Midwest. I was just calling because, you know, in this day and age, there's so many things that divide and, and kind of turn against each other, and the world seems so dark and conflicted that, you know, it's just hard to get by day to day. You look at the news, and it's nothing but, but murder and, and, you know, political um, conflict and just, just horrible stuff. So that's why I wanted to call in and thank, uh, thank the long game for bringing a little bit of joy, just returning some joy back to the world, a little bit of laughter, a little bit of humor, and, of course, also return some sexual fulfillment to Paul's mom. Uh, keep up the great t- uh, job, guys. Uh, I love the show. Bye. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Well, hello, fellas. Well, Aaron, I thought we agreed that we were going to change the name of this week's show to Funny Books Black Label. Well, th- there was some discussion on that. We're still workshopping that to see if uh, if that's actually going to be the title. Mm, okay. So maybe next fall. Or maybe we'll fix it in post. <laughs> it's, it's not testing. Well, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in addition to Johnny Walker, DC also has a black label. Uh, They announced this week through The Hollywood Reporter and then everywhere else uh, that they are starting a new line uh, of either graphic novels or um, miniseries that are out of continuity, uh, top talent, standalone projects. uh, And it's... it's, So just as an example, uh, they said that a, a book like White Knight would have been prime for Black Label if it had already, you know, if Black Label had already existed at that point. How can it be top talent when John Romita is doing a book? (laughs) Well, (laughs) nice. Nice. (laughs) So here are the titles that they've announced. Um, The first one out of the gate is going to be the uh, previously announced Superman Year One from Frank Miller and John Romita Jr., God, that, that just sounds terrible to me. <laughs> God, no more John Romita on Superman, please. Or Frank Miller on anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I think both of those guys are ready to retire. Yeah. Um, there's also Batman, Last Night on Earth from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Um, Bat- and now, oh, th- that looked interesting to me. It almost seems like that is a follow-up to that uh, backup story that we saw. It sounds Scott very Snyder. much like that. Yeah, and I, I remember that that was really cool. I forget what book that appeared in. I what is would... the what's the setup for that one? So I'm curious by the name. It, um, so the the storyline Aaron is referencing is in the Detective Comics. Was it 26? Like the remember they yeah. like it was so the, it was the it was, anniversary issue or something. Yeah, it was a big over, oversized issue. Um, so the setup for this one is Batman wakes up in a desert. He doesn't know what year it is or how the Joker's head is alive in a jar beside him, but it's the beginning of a quest unlike anything the Dark Knight has undertaken before. In this strange future, villains are triumphant and society has liberated itself from the burden of ethical codes. 
Fighting to survive while in search for answers, Bruce Wayne uncovers the truth about his role in this new world and begins the last Batman story ever told. So it's kind of like a Batman the end or a future yeah. imperfect type thing, um, but for yeah, Batman. I would I would definitely pick that up. Why are they here's what I'm curious about. <clears throat> why are they calling these black label and why don't they just go back to the Elseworlds imprint? Uh yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's just because Black Label tested better than Elseworlds, yeah, even though it's exactly. not testing well. They, they seem to really not want to do Elseworlds, because I think it's not, like, totally Elseworlds, right? I think it's it's fringe stories like White Knight, but not necessarily like, hey, Batman's a vampire now, or Superman's the Frankenstein creature. They're trying to slow pitch the not in continuity thing. Or yeah. John Romita can draw. Yeah. Oh. oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Eric. That just breaks all the... Of- all levels of believability. Yeah. yeah, I can't accept that one. I can accept a man can fly, but I can't yeah. accept that John Romita can draw. Yeah. Well, there's also Batman Damned from Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo. Um, that, you know, that's a pretty all-star creative team. Uh, there's Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons from Kelly Sue DeConnick and Phil Jimenez. I got to tell you, the uh, preview art for that looked fantastic. Yeah, it did. That, that was yeah. you know the the key art that they showed for the um, yeah. announcement, and it's it's sweet. Yeah. Um, there's another Wonder Woman book called Diana's Daughter, which is from Greg Rucka and an artist yet to be announced. And the previously announced other history of the DC Universe by John Ritley, which um, is uh, he, he's the writer of Twelve Years a Slave and The American Way. Uh, yeah. So it's it's the history of the universe from. Um, it's African American uh, heroes. I'm, you know, I'm interested. I mean, I think there's a couple of books in there that that seem uh, particularly interesting. But Paul, yeah. have you seen? And they were in this this week's DC books. They had preview pages from uh, the Green Lantern Earth One book. I did see that with Gabriel Hardman. God, you know, I I. I have not been really jazzed about the Earth One books because you know while I like the Batman stuff, I thought the Superman stuff was terrible. The uh, the preview pages from that are amazing, and of course I'm a sucker for Gabriel Hardman, but uh, oh man, those look good. Yeah. So speaking of previews that were in uh, in the DC books, you guys catch the Bendis is coming. Yes. Yeah. So you know what that harkened back to to me. You remember in the '90s when they were getting ready for the death of Superman, and they would have those ads that would just Doomsday say "Doomsday is coming." coming. <laughs> <laughs> on the other, on the flip side, though, the art of the picture—he's got his underwear on the outside. Yeah, that's right. It's that, the, the classic place. costume. The appropriate place for Superman's underpants. Yeah, that's going to come back in uh, Superman number seven hundred or Action Comics number seven hundred. I gotta say though, isn't that, that Action Comics one thousand or whatever? Action Comics one thousand, whatever the numbers hell issue. Are, n- numbers are hard, Paul. They are. <laughs> I think that ad sucks. Yeah, um, no, I do too. I think <laughs> the it looks like a really rough pen out, right? It really does. Like it is yeah. just a stark white background with Superman and Bendis is coming. Like put Bendis is coming. Follow his run in Man of Steel. You know, like, give me more information other than a basically a white page with, you know, like some, uh, you know, a Jim Lee art that's not his yeah. best. Like I said, it struck, it really hit the chord and made me think Doomsday is coming. Yeah. That was my first thought when I saw it. It was just the really simple ad with no details. Yeah, Doomsday is coming. <laughs> well, you know who, you know who else is coming, Paul? Who? John Favreau. Well, that's a bit too much information for me. <laughs> uh, Disney has pointed him, I guess, as uh, 
uh, one of the executive producers for the Star Wars live action series. He's going to be leading that writer's room, apparently. Yeah. Um, so Disney, you know, John Favreau, in addition to making, you know, such classics as Made, that terrible, terrible uh, spiritual successor to Swingers, um, he, you know, after Iron Man, he's he's kind of done pretty well for himself, except for Cowboys and Aliens, which was garbage. Uh, you know, he did the uh, the live action remake of Jungle Book that did really well at the box office. He's doing the Lion King right now and Disney, you know, he, he's on the Disney train now since Iron yep. Man. And so, well, I guess that was even before Disney acquired Marvel. Um, so now we've got Jon Favreau show running or executive producing or right in, you know, like you said, writer's room on the new Star Wars TV series coming to the Disney's new streaming service. Um, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I think that he's a talented guy. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny, like seeing where he came from, you know, remembering swingers, right? Like dude was so money and we didn't even know it back then. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So it's, it's too early to spoil it, but I am curious. Have you guys watched the last episode of rebels? Yes, it was good. It's good. Um, I, I haven't watched the last three seasons of rebels. <laughs> kind of with, I'm kind of with Aaron on that. Yeah. yeah, and it's not. It's not. I, I like the show. I just never think to watch it. Yeah, it's it's done on the Netflix for me, so it doesn't get watched. No. Yeah, I, I I liked the way Rebels ended. I thought it stuck the landing pretty well. I I definitely agree. I thought it did a really good job of sticking the landing, and I was I was curious how they would end it because since the beginning, I've had that that thought of. These characters are characters not mentioned in the movies. How are they going to make them relevant yet not there? Yeah. No, they found a way. That 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 was satisfying, I think. Um, well, Net Netflix also found a way to make a fantastic Lost in Space trailer. Right? That trailer oh was sweet. Oh my god. It is so hot. You know, when it, it came out this week while I was at the office, and so, you know, uh, I, I streamed it to my phone with the volume down so that no one would hear me listening to a uh, <laughs> Lost in Space trailer while I was on a conference call. And uh, I, it, it is gorgeous, Paul. I think I've watched it like five times. It's a it's a beautiful trailer. I, I am so freaking stoked about this this TV show that I'm willing to look past the casting of Parker Posey. So I didn't Oof. know they were I didn't know there was a trailer or that they were doing it. So. What is it? Is it a complete remake? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, a complete reimagining of Lost in Space. I mean, it's still a family lost in space. But uh, Dr. Smith is recast as a woman played by Parker Posey. So easy to dislike Dr. Smith, uh, I imagine. <laughs> uh, complete redesign on the robot. And that is probably my sole objection to it. I wish that they had hewed a little closer to the original design. Um, but it looks like they're taking it super serious. Um, I, I, I am the, the money was definitely in the trailer in terms of the effects and the settings. It looks epic. It is definitely prestige television. Much better than the movie. And now I'm the wrong person to ask because guilty pleasure. I really like the lost in space movie. Um, there are problems with that movie. Absolutely. Uh, the first of which being that they didn't cast Billy Moomy as the, uh, uh, older, older Will Robinson. Yeah, I think that was a, that was a sh that was a stupid mistake. Um, I and I st to this day I don't understand that. Um, when you know uh, Bill Mummy is is you know an 
a current involved actor, uh, or at least he was then. Uh, there's no reason not to have done that. And the they, they over-CGI'd that film towards the end. But, uh, you know, that was a hallmark of movies that were being made then. Um, I, I still like that movie. I own it on Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, I, there, there are things that I, that I think are really admirable about it, um, you know, Matt Blanc included. Matt LeBlanc included. Uh, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't have any Lost in Space nostalgia. I hadn't seen the original at that point. See, and I really like the original Lost in Space, particularly the first season. I've talked about that on, on this podcast before, that the first season that's in black and white is real science fiction. Um, you know, it's it's certainly lighter science fiction than, you know, Twilight Zone or Star Trek. But, you know, it's, it's real science fiction. It d- didn't revert to, or, you know, turn to campiness until it went to a color television TV show, uh, second season and beyond. And even those, there, there's a lot of those that I still like. But uh, uh, that first season is fantastic when they're when they're, you know, in the in the pilot episode where they are riding across the planet in the chariot is just I mean, I get excited watching that because they, they, they actually built a life-size working chariot for that TV show. And it's just great to see all the actors rocking back and forth in that thing as it's rolling across the desert. It's a great show. You know, I own that on Blu-ray as well. (laughs) (laughs) Do we know who's behind the reboot? Like the creative team? I have not done enough. I haven't done any research on it. Yeah. I, 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 well, you know, when the show comes out, so the series premiere, I guess the entire season is April 13th. So we'll talk about it when it comes out uh, because I don't, I don't actually know who's behind it. Um, yeah. You know, if, if they're talent behind other good things or bad things, <laughs> um, you know, I guess we'll, we'll find yeah. out, but I am looks looking great. forward to it. Yeah, definitely yeah. looks good. Um, and, you know, speaking of Netflix this week on international women's day, which was Thursday, Netflix dropped season two of Jessica Jones. And uh, yeah, I, I watched the first episode. How about you, Paul? I did. I watched the first episode. Um, now, let me preface this by saying that I had previously mentioned that without the anticipation of like a Defender season two, I didn't necessarily feel engaged in some of the series enough to bother, you know, watching a second season unless it captivated me. Mm-hmm. Right. So like shows like Luke Cage or Iron Fist or to a certain extent, even the first season of Jessica Jones. I may not have finished if it wasn't for the fact that I, I knew Defenders was coming and I wanted to make sure that I had the whole story. Wow, because Jessica Jones is one of the top two for me out of all the series. Compared, I, I, right? See, I think with me, it's Daredevil season one and two and then everything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jessica Jones. I struggle with whether I liked it more than season one of Daredevil or not. It's They're both really on par for me. Oof. Yeah, no, I can't. Well, and I, I'm I'm with Wayne on that. I've you know Jessica Jones. I've watched. I've rewatched the first season. Uh, I have not done that with Daredevil. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I really like Daredevil. I just, it, in terms of my ranking, Jessica Jones is uh, over Daredevil. So, what did you Oof. think of? Uh, yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the first episode. Did you really? Uh, I did. I was concerned when you know I saw the trailer a week or so ago. Uh, and I was concerned that it looked like they were going to retread a lot of stuff from the first season. Uh, and they may yet do that. But I liked the setup for it. I part- I'm not going to spoil anything because it just hit. I don't want to ruin it for anybody yet. But uh, I, I absolutely loved 
the wizard, Paul. The wizard was awesome. <laughs> Does he have his powers? I, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to oh. say the wizard was awesome. I, I, you know, I, I, I have to disagree. Well, my, my personal opinion, <laughs> I didn't care for it. Uh, I did not care for the season premiere. I didn't. Um, it felt, for me, it felt like, it felt just generic to me, uh, you know, without, and maybe it just, like in the first season, you had a pretty solid first episode um, and, and that ended on a good cliffhanger. You know, you had the David Tennant character, you had things that engaged you in this, like this first episode, like it just felt like a generic TV show to me. It felt like something that I would see on ABC, especially with the, um, you know, a, a mild spoiler, some of the special effects in the episode I, I felt were not well produced um, so I, I, I did not love it. Uh, I, I didn't have any of those problems. I, uh, but I think it probably also goes to the fact that I like these characters more than you do, Paul. Yeah, um, I, think that's I, fair. I, I, you know, I enjoyed, we pick up with Jessica while she's in the middle of a job and the job doesn't quite go the way, you know, Jessica might hope. And so we get to see the fallout from that in the first moments of the show. Uh, we get to see what she's dealing with post- defenders post her season finale and we get to we get to see, we pick up with patsy and i love that we get to see patsy in the middle of a job yeah. and that was hysterical <laughs> that was a funny I, scene. Was, love patsy's character so much yeah from the first season i mean she she was a runaway character for me yeah, yeah. I, and i like that we're picking up on threads that we laid down in the first season that i would you know it was interesting to me in the first season where they they started building the second season towards the end of the first season because you could see, oh, they're they're dropping a bunch of a bunch of hints about what the next season's going to be about, and sure enough, they picked right up on that. Um, I will say I think, though, you know, they, they picked up on threads from season one, mm -hmm. but I was a little surprised to find almost zero mention of any of the events of the defenders. I agree. I, it was surprising to me that there, there was absolutely no reference to the defenders. Um, and I'm given to believe from the trailer that we're going to see some Luke cage, uh, you know, in this season. But I mean, because of the way they cut the trailer, that there are scenes from season one and season two in it. Um, it's a little hard to figure out what you're going to get. Yeah, I would agree. Because I wasn't sure if those were season one or season two scenes. And I don't know season one enough. Well, and I mean, again, I've watched season one twice. And some of it, I think, might be stuff that was that was originally shot for season one, but wasn't used in season one. Because uh, I'm like, that's that same bar scene. But that is not from what was aired. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think some of that is unused footage. So, again, I'm not sure if we're actually going to see Luke Cage in this season. I hope we do, because I think I think they've got good chemistry together. And I just I, I love uh, the character and I love the actor. Um, but, I, you know, I dug this episode. You know, I it, I watched it by myself last night because I knew you and I were going to talk about it today. Mm -hmm. uh, this is actually a show I watch with my wife because she she likes Jessica Jones. Um, so I, my, uh, my ongoing viewing will be in the company of, uh, you know, the wife. See, I really hope they do bring, uh, Luke Cage in because I like the actor. I like the character. I hated his show, but I loved him and Jessica Jones. Yeah. I thought his show had moments, but I agree. I don't think that it was strong throughout. Um, I think they, they, they wrote well past their ending in Luke Cage, Agreed. but, uh, I, I do. I, th I think that. 
the, the characters have great chemistry together. Um, and, you know, I'd like to see more of that. Well, so, anyway, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, you know what's even more exciting? <laughs> Netflix, Netflix this week picked up the rights to produce uh, um, media based on Rob Liefeld's Extreme label. I, so they're they are really investing in pockets. I'm guessing. Yeah. So lots are... of pockets and tiny feet. <laughs> and pouches uh so uh the young blood is not part of the deal the the properties that are part of the deal are brigade blood strike cybrid rejects blood wolf and kaboom um didn't Liefeld do dooms for wasn't yes. that part of his extreme studio i wonder i i wonder if spielberg still owns the rights to that probably yeah and i don't remember you now that you mention it i don't recall if that was extreme or not um okay. or if that was it was liefeld though wasn't it, it was liefeld yeah I'm, I'm trying to remember i'm trying to remember what company and maybe it was extreme but maybe it was after uh no it was it was sorry it, it, it was extreme and it was during their image time it was such yeah. a short-lived series from 1994 oh. aaron 23 years ago yeah it was, but you know, I I liked it. I mean, that's one of those weird things is there's not a lot of Liefeld stuff that I liked. No, uh, but I did enjoy Dooms Four. But of course, I don't think that series ever finished. No, I don't, well, I think it did. I think it was just a miniseries, and it just never continued after the miniseries. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know what? It makes me sad that a lot of those properties, like brigade and those types of things are not available digitally even for 99 cents i would yes a lot of this there's a lot of shit out there <laughs> but there were a lot of fun books for that time like yeah. new men you know uh, i really enjoyed the new men that was kind of like their teen titans type book i liked yeah. some of the brigade stuff what uh, was that there was a book i think it was called union you know he was some kind of outer space alien with powers and yeah i read him i, read yeah, I like that book I mean, and, and I think that the image ought to just start dropping those digitally, you know, in big omnibuses. Yeah. You know, here's your here's here's your '90s omnibus number one. You know, I'd pick those I, up. I, I don't want the omnibuses. There are some titles I would read again, but the vast majority of image from that time frame, I would rather forget. You know, <laughs> I don't. I, I think, I think a lot of people feel that way about it, and that's why they don't. But there, it, you know, a lot of people grew up on that stuff, myself included. Yeah. You know, th that was prime comic time. And yes, it's also what drew, drove what the, broke the, the market, what right? broke the market. Yeah. Um, but there, I'm not saying there's quality in those books, but I'm saying there's fun. There's a yeah. lot of fun you know, there. There was during that time, I read a lot of Spawn, and those are out in omnibuses, but I've never bought them for some reason, even though I really enjoyed it at the time, I have no desire to go back to Spawn. I would agree on that. And I think because Spawn was never fun. <laughs> that's, yeah. that, that's a book that I, you know, in retrospect, did I ever enjoy reading Spawn? Not really. No, no one ever has, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I loved from that time, though, was the Wildcat stuff. Uh, Gen 13. Yeah. See, Some that's another books. one. I, I would... always I always wanted to like Gen 13. I like the art. I just never liked the stories. It was no Danger Girl. Uh, <laughs> Danger Girl. Yes. Yeah, I'm a sucker for Danger Girl. Yeah. It was a good book. Well, so there's definitely stuff from that era and from Image that I would want to read again. But none of the books that you mentioned that Netflix has licensed hold even slight appeal to me. Yeah, I'm, I cannot imagine 
producing a show on the scale of of one of these Marvel shows based on those extreme properties. Yeah. I just I mean, ugh. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, speaking of of properties that uh, you know, we're born out of the 90s. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember Bloodshot from Valiant Comics, you know, he was the the assassin who with the the big red uh like rising sun tattoo. Yeah, Valiant has really done a lot with the character. He's been he's taken off for some reason. I don't care for any of the stuff, but he's he's probably their number one property right now. Yeah. Well, they announced, you know, so Sony has the rights you know, a, a big movie company or a big company did just buy the rights to Valiant. I just bought Valiant, I should say. Um, but some of the the properties were already, you know, acquired by movie companies in order to make movies out of that kind of thing. And so it was announced this week that um, there's a Bloodshot movie coming, directed by Dave Wilson, who's a collaborator. Um, on Deadpool, he was one of the uh, co-directors, I guess, on Deadpool um, and the upcoming Terminator reboot. Um, so, and he's the creative director at Blur Studios. Uh, so, but he is going to be directing the film Bloodshot, and they closed the deal with Vin Diesel to star as Bloodshot. Which, you know, he I think he's the right look for the role. I think he, you know, I, I find trouble. I I find difficulty in finding things starring Vin Diesel that I enjoy outside of the Fast and Furious series. I was going to, you better, you better, yeah, you better close that sentence fast. <laughs> yeah. Outside of Fast and Furious, because I don't count Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> outside of Fa- Fast and the Furious, there's very little that Vin Diesel has done that's worth a damn. You didn't like Triple X? No. Mm. No, wait a minute. What about Pitch Black? Okay. That's, a, yeah, that's a good one. I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah. You shut yeah. your whore mouth. But then they ruined it with the most recent Riddick film. Oof, that was a bad one. I don't think I've seen that one. Exactly. I haven't either. And but Pitch Black was great. Pitch Black was great, and so was the. the I like the Chronicles of Riddick, but Riddick. Ooh. But then you've got you know such treasures as Babylon A.D. or um, the Last Witch Hunter. That was the Last Witch Hunter was damn near unwatchable. You know your problem, Paul. You watch those movies. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> That's why the rest of us are still fine with them. We didn't watch those movies. I, I did. <laughs> Tim. Tim. Paul and I have an agreement. We have we a Vin Diesel, Diesel. Pact, yeah. yeah. Garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... This let, let's talk about some comics. Uh, this week, Batman Forty Two came out, uh, continuing Tom King and Michael Shannon's uh, Poison Ivy story. Everybody loves, or everyone loves Ivy. This is the second part. Tim, Aaron, and I read this book. Aaron, what did you think? Well, again, not a big fan of Poison Ivy stories. However, I gotta say, uh, <laughs> Batman and Catwoman forced to eat at bat burger so that they're not eating any vegetables <laughs> kind of cracks me up well and i like that they what they order is a kgblt uh-huh. and a killer croc monsieur <laughs> i i always enjoy the visits to bat burger I, I you know i actually did enjoy this book um I, I found it interesting that, you know, so every, it, just to get you guys caught up who are not reading the book, Poison Ivy has basically taken control of the world. Of the entire world. Yeah. Um, and so everyone is Ivory. So, you know, she, she basically has control of everyone except 
Batman and, and the Catwoman who have figured it out. And she's allowing them to live, but, you know, they, they're they're uncovering ways to, to stop this. And I think the story is very interestingly told, right? It's not your standard, like, we need to go confront Ivy at her lair type story. You know, they're, they're being kind of sneaky about it. And then Superman killed Batman. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> he didn't kill Batman. He just ru- ruined his pretty face. No, he killed him. That was the point. No. Pretty sure he was dead. Yeah, Poison Ivy, you know, uh, Poison Ivy said, or Catwoman said, is he dead? And Poison Ivy said he was. I brought him back. Magic, science, surgery, there's someone for everything. So, yeah, Superman, uh, under control of Poison Ivy, so Wayne doesn't freak out, uh, (laughs) knocked the shit out of Batman. And uh, I thought that was was a cool scene. Now I kind of want to read it. Because there's well, plenty of scenes of Batman beating up Superman because writers like to write that. But you don't often get to see Superman kill Batman like it would really happen. Yeah, that was the that was the end of the podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, it's very hard to read this book for me because it's like, I don't know. It seems like the odds are way stacked. Yeah. And and it's just because like the discussion they're having on on you know on the way to plan the whatever they're going to do. That seems like it, you know I I knew they weren't defeated, but boy did that make sense. <laughs> like the entire world screwed it's like uh, uh who's going to who's going to be the minister? Well, I guess that'll be Poison Ivy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, Poison Ivy's best man. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of fun humor in this book, like a lot of you know good dialogue. It's a lot of, a lot of it's, a, it's a lot of uh, funeral humor. What I thought was funny is that like they got dressed to watch TV. Like you know, Batman threw on a button-up shirt, slacks, shoes. You know, Catwoman got dressed. Like you guys are the only people left in the world. Like you should just be in your jammies watching TV <laughs> at home. Like because now you just got to take that shit off <laughs> to put on your bat suits and your cat suits. Well, but you know, if Ivy is everyone, she they get to make Ivy do their laundry. So Yeah. Which is pretty yeah. sweet. I so, hope that you know, the, I hope there's a reveal coming that there is more than just Bat Batman and, and, and Catwoman. Well there is, right? There's this one guy who's allergic to, to greens. Well okay, he's like good. me. So I would good. I would be immune <laughs> from poison ivy because I don't eat greens. I'm really glad Carl's gonna save us. No, but like <laughs> you know, people like Dead Man who wouldn't eat or Swamp Thing. You know, I, I need something more. I'm sure oh, I hope it's coming. coming. Yeah, somebody that wouldn't be controlled. Animal Man, even with. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Give um, me something. Did you guys see the preview artwork for Catwoman's wedding dress? Yes. It is actually a very pretty dress. Yeah, they uh, did a good job with it. Yeah, I thought so too. I you don't often see black in a wedding dress, <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it looked it, it looked very pulpy, right? It looked like something out of the twenties or thirties. Yeah, that was great. And yeah. I think it's, I think it's a really great design. So, and uh, there we are with Fashion Week with Aaron and Polly. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, Superman made a pretty uh, memorable appearance in the pages of Batman, but we also had Superman 42 this week, Bizarro Verse Part One. Um, so when I mentioned this book at the beginning of the sh- before we recorded, you know, when we're going over the books we're going to talk about, both Aaron and, and Wayne were just like, "Yes, we have to talk about this book." Well, why? Why do we have to talk about this book, Wayne? So. For me, 
this book was incredibly difficult to read for like half of it. I like Bizarro. I've always liked the character. I don't want it to be inside of his head. Same thing with uh, now the Bizarro version of Superboy. Boyzaro. Boyzaro. I don't. It's too painful reading the dialogue, like the internal monologue from them. I can deal with the dialogue because they don't talk that much. But God, this was painful to read. But the book was still really good. And I loved seeing uh, more of Kathy again and seeing that Superboy seems to be developing even a stronger crush on her and the uh, that she has the machine that lets them go look in on Bizarro World, I thought was really cool. But it was so painful reading the Bizarro inner monologue. It just hurts my brain. It's It's hard for me. I'm reading Bizarro over in the pages of Red Hood and the Outlaws. Um, and so uh, clearly there are at least two different Bizarros. And maybe I should clarify and say that there are two different kinds of Bizarros, right? Yeah, because the one over in Super Bo- or, uh, the one over Red in Red Hood is a clone. Right. He and is, this he, one is alternate reality. Exactly. And so that's the confusing part because they, they both say and do similar things. But, you know, one is from an alternate reality and the other one is uh, is uh, a product of Luther Tech. And so it's it's super confusing because you're like, okay, not the same guy, not the same guy, not the same guy. And I'm not saying that I want them to get rid of one of them because I actually really enjoy both of them. Uh, But it's just it's a it's a merging of. Uh, sort of a John Byrne style Bizarro versus the Silver Age Bizarro, um, and it's just a little confusing when we're having you know both the cake and eating it. Um, it's it's just a, it's just a little weird. So I struggled with that through this book. I found it confusing. It almost feels like you know there ought to be an explanation somewhere. You know, editor's note: there are two different kinds of Bizarros. <laughs> you know, just just to clarify that in case you're reading over in the the Red Hood book. Um, but I agree with Wayne in that the pages on Bizarro World uh, were too many uh, because it's hard to read in Bizarro's voice because the narrator was Bizarro. Uh, but we did get to see. Boy Zaro's use of his own powers and kill his own cat, much as Jonathan Kent did uh, in the in in his sort of you know exploring his heat vision. In this case, Boy Zaro's uh, you know use was an enraged use of cold vision. But and the know, uh, the cat was like Hawk Girl, right? Which I appreciate anytime you see a hawk person get killed. Well, it was it was the cat and Hawk Girl, right? It was yeah, both of them. You know, because Hawk Girl. Instead of a a hawk coming and and taking the cat away, hawk girl came <laughs> and took the cat away. So, uh, it, yeah, it was fun. It was fun, and we also get to see you know Lois and Clark uh, discipline John, uh, which was also super interesting. And you know, seeing John being you know terrified about what possible you know trouble he might be in, and then we see that Boy Zaro has followed. Uh, Jonathan Kent from Bizarro World to Metropolis, and and that's where we end this book. I think the artwork's gorgeous in this book. I really enjoyed the story, and as long as we can stay off Bizarro World, I'm good. Yep, and same before, here. Before we jump, uh, Wayne, I picked up the Jonathan Kent Superboy and Crypto uh, uh, statue. Uh, they're gorgeous. Ooh. They're gorgeous. 
from Kotobukiya. It's also expensive, though, isn't it? No, it's like 60 bucks. Oh, that's not bad at all. No, it's not bad at all. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So there you go. So, Paul, yes, sir. what did you think of Superman number 42? I, I, I mirror all the thoughts that you guys have shared. Um, you know, I, I, I struggle with Bizarro books to begin with. I like the idea of the character, but when he's the narrator, I'm just confused as shit. Right. Well, and that's what I love about him over in Red Hood and the Outlaws um, is that he is just a great big buffoon. It, it, you know, essentially a big gun that Red Hood's pointing to wherever he needs to point him. Yeah. Right. But he, he's also got he, he's sort of that big dope with a heart of gold because he's also a good person. He's a good person who's rough around the edges, not rough around the edges in that he's, you know, got a, a dark soul, but rough around the edges that he doesn't know how to be. And, uh, you know, he's he is socially awkward superhero. And I, I just dig that about him. And I dig I dig that he that the Bizarro character in Red Hood and the Outlaws really has become the emotional heart of the book. Uh, so I like that depiction of the character. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's a little hard to, to have a a Bizarro point of view story being told to you. It is. And so that's why, you know, that I struggled with it. I did like that the and I don't know if you guys caught this. The first couple of pages of this book are. Um, mirror images of the first couple of pages of Superman number one from DC Rebirth. I mean, it is, it is panel for panel just set on Bizarro, just the Bizarro version of it. Um, So I I like that. I I really did like that. It was just, you know, I find that with Bizarro, I think as much as I struggle to read it, I've got to imagine as a writer, they struggle to write it because the, you know, the reverse speak isn't consistent. Right. Which makes it even more difficult as a reader. So I just, you know, in, in in doses, I'm good with Bizarro as the narrator for half of an issue. Less so. I think if I were editing that book, I would probably take one look at it and say, okay, nope, you're good. I quit. I, I'm not going to try. <laughs> I, I'm using a vacation day. Well, from Marvel this week, we talked a little bit last week about how Infinity Countdown was starting. Um, after the pages of Infinity Countdown Prime, which I think we didn't like, um, you know, written by um, Jerry Dugan, art by Mike Diodato Jr., we still decided to go ahead and give Infinity Countdown itself, same writer, Jerry Dugan, art by Aaron Cooter, who I'm much more of a fan of. Um, he's got a very Art Adam sensibility. This is taking off on threads that were set up in the Guardians of the Galaxy book. Um, and we, we had talked about how when Guardians of the Galaxy was canceled, in order to help increase sales, what they did was basically take the next storyline and turn it into an event book. And that's how we got Infinity Countdown. And so that's what we're reading now. Um, Aaron, you picked this book up with me. So I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on issue one of Infinity Countdown. Um. So, uh, <laughs> I'll, let me just start with saying that overall, I liked the book. I would agree. Um, there are things about the book that irritate me. I just irritate me right out of my skin. Um, and, and it is the same thing that Marvel does all across their line. Uh, after a Marvel movie, they take their comic characters and shape them very much like the way the characters are in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they they have as much as I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I don't want those characters for my comic. I want the I want the characters that we that we, you know, 
grew to know and love under the hands of Abnett Lanning in their spectacular run of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And by the way, the foundation for the original Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah. Uh, and and they they Drax is not himself in this book. Um, he is that that MCU character. Very uh, much and so. the same and the same thing with Rocket. I mean, it, it just annoys me, annoys the tar out of me. Um, I will tell you that I think Star-Lord, you know, Peter Quill, is almost unrecognizable as his original character. And I am just going to have to get over that. Yeah, he uh, if is I'm absolutely read... the Star-Lord from the seer- from the movie now. Yeah. Which you and... know, is a bummer because the Star-Lord, I, I, while I appreciate the Star-Lord of the movie, it, he that is a very different character. It is. And, I, you know, it's a character that works for the movie. It is not a character that, in my opinion, works for the comic. Um, no, it's a bit buffoonish for a comic. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you'll recall in the Abnett Landing run, there was a darkness to Star-Lord. You know, he had – it took him a while to sort of retake his mantle as Star-Lord. There was a while there he, where he didn't want to be called that name any longer because he because of what he had endured during uh, the Annihilation Wave. Um, and I, I liked that depth to the character. You know, and he got to be a more fun character as the series went on. But this guy is absolutely uh, the character from the films. All that aside, um, uh, let me add one more thing. Same thing. The the addition of the Chitari as a major uh, force in the in the Marvel Comics universe irritates the tar out of me. Uh, yeah. You know, they just all of a sudden they're they are important. They are. They, they exist, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a, it's a complete, you know, pulling over of the Avengers, uh, you know, uh, invade invasion force in, in, from the Avengers film. And then the also the starship designs, you know, the starship design is straight out of the Guardians movies. So all of those elements just annoy the crap out of me because I liked the earlier designs. I like the earlier characters. Again, if I'm going to continue reading these books, this is something I've got to get over. And clearly I haven't done that yet. I will probably need some employee assistance program to help me through this, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, that said, um, I did, I, I really like the, when they have included, you know, uh, uh, our standard earth setting heroes to the guardians. Like right now we've got Ant-Man as part of the guardians. I kind of dig that. I didn't read any yeah, of like the that. issues where the thing was part of the guardians, but I think I might like those if I liked the rest of the guardians books. Um, it was nice to see that baby Groot gets restored to full Grootness in this book. Uh, Cause I, I gotta tell you, I am, I am sick to <laughs> the gills with baby Groot. Yeah. I think that, that, that overstayed its welcome. Yeah, I'm mean, way overstated. Okay, well. good. I'm not the only one because Baby Groot was a really cool concept as a way to deal with Groot being killed. Right. But now it seems like they just find excuses either in video games, cartoons, and and comics to keep making it happen again and again. Again, well, Baby Groot again sells again. toys. You know, yeah. adult Groot sells significantly less. Adult Groot is what they call a peg warmer. Baby Groot <laughs> flies off the shelves. Yeah. Now, there is a there is a particularly great scene because, you know, Drax has been fighting uh, the Raptors, right? The the guys that are uh, what is it? Dark Hawk. Yeah. Dark Hawk. 
yeah, uh, the Darkhawk guys, you know. And so he he beats all these guys, and he needs to figure out a way to get up to the enemy ship uh, to fight those guys off. And so he keeps ripping their wings off and attaching them to himself, and they won't work. And they said, uh, those wings won't work for you. They only work for us. So the next scene you see, he's riding one of them and holding one in his arms to fly up to the alien ship. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I will tell you, I thought that that panel was brilliant, uh, and I enjoyed that a great deal. Um, it seemed to me, Paul, like, you know, there was a – I know that the, the, the battle involving Drax involved the Power Stone, um, but it seemed like a lot of that had nothing to do with the Power Stone. Right? I agree, and I think that, that, that goes back to what I was saying, that this was not originally a separate Infinity right. um, gauntlet storyline, and it's been turned into one. Because, yeah, the, the whole Groot storyline had nothing to do with the Infinity Gem. And uh, and, and I, I do want to say something in regards to the... Or I, sh I should say Infinity Stones now, because they're stones. Um, so Wolverine left the Space Stone in a toilet tank. Well, that's what you do. For Black no Widow. Yeah, no one's going to leave... No one's going to look for it there, Paul. I found that a little ridiculous. And no you know, they've been setting up this whole Wolverine thing, you know, oh, Wolverine's got the space stone, where's Wolverine, you know, these these post-credit scenes in, in the comics, and now, like, all of a sudden he doesn't have it, he left it in the toilet tank for, for Natasha to find. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was kind of silly, but, you know, here's the thing, there was enough here, especially with the art, I loved the art, um, the Aaron Cooter art, just, like I said, really reminds me of Art Adams, not, not quite as elaborate, um, I think it's a it's a spirit sort of thing, right? Yeah. It, it's a it, there is a a scent. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, but I, I agree. I, I can I can I can certainly feel that energy, but certainly not the same sort of style. Have any of these books explained how Wolverine's back? No, not yet. Okay. No, but you know there is a reality gem out there, so you know sure. I'm they sure can we'll explain they can explain anything. Mm -hmm. Well, moving away from Marvel and DC, a, the new Robert Kirkman book came out this week. You know, we talked about the final issue of Invincible a couple weeks ago, and now his new book, Oblivion Song, came out, uh, written by him, art by Lorenzo De Felici. And Tim, you picked up this book, and I apologize, I had intended on reading it, I didn't get a chance, but I'm very curious to hear what you thought of this book. So, th there's a couple things going on here with this book. Um... I'm going to separate it out into the good and the bad. Uh, the story itself is a, is a really nice story. Uh, so what, what's happening here is, as best as I can uh, explain it is um, you've got a situation where uh, there was a shift in reality and an entire city went into another, another, another reality, another universe. And the government had been funding ways to get those people back here because where they are is a very Mad Maxian monster infested area. Um, and the story picks up like years later where there's still one guy who who has a small team that goes in there and keeps trying to save people. And. Um, it follows the, the reasoning behind uh, the fact that he's doing it on a shoestring budget, that the government's basically given up on these people. They have a memorial to all the people that they've lost. And 
that that's basically the setup. Um, he gives he keeps getting told uh, by by people that want to see it go away that he's only doing it because he lost a family member there and he's still searching for that person, which is basically true. He doesn't say that, but he also doesn't deny it. So you've got a hero that's who who's who's doing it for a very understandable reason, but he's trying to take a very higher a higher moral high ground about it. That's the good part. Man, I don't like this art. <laughs> I don't like I don't like this style. I, I I recognize it's not bad, but it is so far from what I normally like. Um, and I don't know. You guys might have to help me on this. I don't know it, what else Lorenzo Di Felici has done. Um. Because I've seen the style before, so I'm guessing he's done a couple other image books. But I gotta, I gotta tell you, I don't, I don't know. I, I like the story. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can abide the art. And add to the fact that we, we, we've seen how Robert Kirkman books can kind of go off the rails after he gets past like the first like two story arcs he has. <laughs> yeah, you really sold me on the story aspect of it because that sounds very interesting. My initial thoughts about you know Kirk, Kirkman knows how to start a book. Yeah, it, start it. Yeah, yeah. Once you get to issue yeah. seven, there's going to be a big twist, <laughs> and uh, then it'll go downhill. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that at some point it's going to fall. It's going to fall off the rails. Um, but this book in and of itself was a pretty good book. And if you flip through it, and, uh, flip through it, if you look at the pre, if you look at the previews and you, the art does not bother you. I, I think it's worth a look. Okay. Well, I did purchase it. I'll give it a read and I, I will touch base and let you know what my thoughts were. Well, next week in comic stores from Marvel, we've got Marvel two in one, number four, issue four of fate of the four. Um, from Chip Zdarsky and Valerio Shitty. Shitty? I'm sure there's, I'm sure his real name is not Shitty. <laughs> um, you also you get, don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you, you that also, is your pronouncement of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also get new issues of Detective Comics and Action Comics issue 999. One more to go. Um, you I'm, also... I'm excited and frightened all at the same time. Same here. Same here. The end of it. It's it's a big deal. Um, We're also getting the return of Mr. Miracle from um, Tom King. Tom King. And Mitch Jarrett's is back. The the King himself. Yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. And Aaron, you had mentioned Green Lantern Earth One, which comes out next week. You know, depending on the uh, size of the week, I, uh, I may pick that one up. Yeah. Same same here, just because of the previous. I hadn't planned on it. The previews are super hot. Now, DC, if you're listening, don't make it a $25 hardcover and a $25 digital copy. That is correct. If you if you if you can get that down to 50, 10 bucks. Yeah, I, I would in yeah. a heartbeat. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I am legit sold on those few pages they gave us. I mean, I just can't say enough how stunning those pages are. Yep. I won't pay 25 for it digitally though. Yeah. But I do have the physical copies of all of the earth one stuff that I've bought. You know, here's the thing. I have the, the, the um, print copies and it bugs me that I don't have them digitally because I don't read them in print. And I'm not, here's the thing. I'm not going to revisit 
the Superman Earth One books, but I kind of want to revisit the Batman Earth One ones. Mm-hmm. And I don't have them digitally. So I'm hopeful that next week DC will put them on sale since they've got a new Earth One book coming out. And, uh, you know, I, maybe I'll, I'll pick it up then if it's actually looking at them digitally. Earth One right now for Batman, Volume One's 15 bucks. Volume Two is on sale for 9 So combined, 25 bucks. That's not too bad. I may consider picking them up just to revisit those stories. Yeah, it feels like Comixology's had better sales on those, though, in the past. Yeah, agreed. I, I feel like those have been less in the past. Probably. But I, You know, I, I'll pick it up at some point. It's just a matter of will I pick it up next week. So anyway, uh, I, something to look forward to. I uh, am really excited about the next issue of Marvel 2-in-1. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed that book, uh, you know. So, Aaron, I've enjoyed it enough that uh, there was a comic book shop or a comic book convention, a tiny one across the street, literally across the street in one of the motels. And I went over and bought a bunch of really cheap physical Fantastic Four books and read through them last week. Oh, good. Because it is really it's hit that Fantastic Four itch and made me want more. Yeah. You forgot that that you had that Fantastic Four itch, right? You know, yeah, what, yeah I, I hear you. I hear you. Got to scratch it. Yeah, it it, ha- it hasn't made me read the Matt Fraction Fantastic Four books, though, because I, I keep looking at those going, eh, you're not getting me. You're not. It's not going to happen, Matt. <laughs> yep. No, the stuff I was reading was uh, around 250 in that time frame. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're old. That, that's old school Fantastic yeah, Four. That's, yeah, that's what I used to have collected. And that's what I really enjoy is that era. I had, I believe it was Fantastic Four 201 that got picked up in class when I was in fourth grade. I was, uh, I didn't bring my pencil to class. And uh, the teacher had just had this giant lecture about if you don't, if you don't bring your supplies to class, you just sit there quietly. Don't ask me for a pencil. And so I tucked my Fantastic Four 201 inside my spelling book and read my comic book uh, through class. And she came over to comment on how studious I was. When she realized that, you know, I'm reading uh, Reed Richards fighting uh, Dr. Doom and uh, took my comic book up. I'm, I'm not bitter. That is sad and hilarious at the same time. I, I am not bitter. And she she fussed at me and said, you know, why? Why, Aaron? Why didn't why didn't why weren't you doing your homework? And I'm like, well, I didn't bring my pencil to class. And you said that I couldn't ask for a pencil. So I'm doing this. And yeah, you always ask me for a pencil. I mean, she <laughs> just completely contradicted herself. And, uh, you know, and uh, the longer story is how I got my comic book back. But uh, we'll share that for another time. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, y'all have a good one. Catch you later. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.